Let me um, teach for a little bit. I don't have a lot of time, but I can teach for a little while. And I want to read to you um, a scripture of our text tonight, Galatians 3, 11 through 14. Can I dive in? Are you all right? So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. Are, are you all listening to this? He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. How many are here tonight and you remember something that's going to we're going to have that day next month that we remember, September 11th, 2001. How many remembers where you were on that day when, when that day rolled out? Some of you weren't alive yet. Some of you were little boys or girls. Some of us were much older. That, will day, that day will burn in many of our memories for as long as we live. Those of us who were alive at that time and we're following the events of that day, saw the Twin Towers struck by Boeing 767s and explode in fire, and then those buildings came crashing down. Man, I'll never forget watching that building come down, that first building. I was at the YMCA up the street here, had been playing racquetball with some young friends that are now old. And we came out for a little break after I'd whooped the socks off of them. No, I, I added that. But we came out for a little break and there on the TV screen up above us, we watched what was going transpiring. Never forget it. Never forget the terror of those images in our minds as such an unbelievable sight. For many of us, for many of us, the most horrible aspect of that day was the sight of people throwing themselves off the building in order to escape being burned to death, falling maybe almost a thousand feet to certain death. You know, I thought about that many times. They were not suicidal as they went to their jobs that day. They were not depressed. They were not filled with hatred as they walked through the halls of the 105th floor and turned on their lights, turned on their computers, looked out the window at the Manhattan skyline and the New York Harbor as they'd probably done many, many times working there. Jumping out of Jumping out of that window 55 minutes later would have never occurred to them. But when the planes crashed into the Twin Towers and caused the world around them to be engulfed in flame, intense searing heat, billowing smoke, they tried to escape 
but to no avail. The elevators were not accessible. There was no way to get to the stairs. They went back to their offices, looked out of the window. Maybe the shattered, maybe the window near their office was already shattered. We don't know by the crash. I read that at least 200 people who died that day made the terrifying decision that to jump was better than to stay. One photo that was taken was entitled The Falling Man. Many of you probably can picture that photo. It ran in the New York Times, but because some said it desecrated the memories of those that died, the New York Times never ran such a photo ever again. And on the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 tragedy, Susie Linfield, a journalism, journalist professor at NYU, published a story in a New York magazine called Jumpers. She had this to say. She said, the jumper photographs make clear to us the utter vulnerability of the victims. Those trapped in those towers that day had only two choices, to jump to their deaths or to be incinerated. Which is not much of a choice. What the 9-11 victims faced was the absence of options. There were videos of people on, that, on the highest floors of the World Trade Center that day, and they were leaning out and they were waving little white pieces of cloth, desperate for some kind of savior as a smoke was billing out of the win windows around them. They could see fire below as they looked down. You know, it's, for me, it's difficult to even watch it. Almost next month will be 22 years, and it's difficult to watch it. Now, here's what I wanted to say. Why did I bring that up, Pastor? Well, these tragic folks illustrate the central lesson of today's teaching as it offers us an understanding of Jesus Christ, who is the only one that can free us from God's wrath. So I'm going to make three statements right now in this teaching, and I want to forewarn you that the world the world without Christ hates all three of these statements. Hates them. The first is that this world is facing a future raging inferno of immense heat, infinite power, and eternal duration. It's the just wrath of God against sin. This is a fire that will destroy the entire world. If you believe the Bible is true and that God knows what he's doing and he said what he meant and he meant what he said, this is a fire that will destroy the entire world in judgment and consume the enemies, the enemies of God in hell. The second statement is this. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for escaping from this coming wrath. Christ's death on the cross is the only way that sinners can be saved from this fire. The third statement is this. 
Just as those people on 9-11 had no way to save themselves from the raging inferno, the world hates this statement. None of us can save ourselves from the coming wrath of God. Our works cannot make us righteous in the sight of God. Just as there was no way for people to climb down to safety, there's no way for us to use the law to climb up to safety. And the world hates and fights these three statements. The world says there's no coming wrath of God. Do do you folks here tonight understand that the world basically is saying there is no coming wrath of God. Or if God exists, he loves everyone and he will rescue everyone from hell if there even is a hell. There there is teaching going on today in so-called Christian churches that are not teaching the Bible that are saying Somehow, everybody's going to be saved in the end. It's a lie. The world hates these three statements. The world says Christ is not the only way to heaven. The world says it's arrogant for Christians to claim that he's the only way to heaven. We're arrogant to even make a statement such as that. Third, the world says that we actually can pay for our sins by good works. This is the same thing Paul was addressing to the Galatians all the way back then. Same thing going on. Different words, different Generation, same old thing. The world is saying we can actually pay for our sins by our good works. Righteousness in God's sight can be obtained by observing some kind of a law or some pattern of morality. And it's even now reduced to the idea, well, I'm better than that guy. And through these statements made, and though they're all hated by many in the world, they're taught powerfully in the text that we're going to be looking at tonight in Galatians. The last verse in Galatians 2 that we've already covered says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So let's concentrate on that phrase just for a moment. The grace of God. Paul is explaining the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ. The grace of God in Galatians 2.21 is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gracious provision that God has made for sinners. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The grace of God, listen to me, the grace of God saves us from the curse of God, the wrath of God, We see that Christ became a curse for us. Tonight, if you've, by the faith God's given you to believe, received the gift by God's grace, 
and you realize that your salvation is not something that you can earn, it's not something you deserve, but you've received this precious gift of God, what we need to understand about this is Jesus became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So as we see in Galatians 2.21, Paul says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. And that just stuck out to me so strongly this week as I was preparing this little study in Galatians. Paul said, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. Why do, why do we need to hear that tonight? Why do we sitting here together tonight, listening to God's word, hearing the testimonies, singing this worship songs together, here we are, God's people. Many of us are saved. Some of you here tonight may not truly be born of the Spirit yet, but God's working in you to receive this precious gift. Why do we need to hear and be reminded to not treat the grace of God as meaningless? Anybody? By his grace that we're saved. I felt that sneeze coming on three miles ago. <laughs> yes, Kelly, thank you. Did you hear what she said? Keep us from being complacent. Has anybody besides me ever found yourself a little bit complacent with your salvation, with your walk with God, with your, with your prayer life? I mean, you know, it's not by our works, but because we're saved, then we begin to Walk in the ways of the Lord, led by the Spirit, living for God. And we're growing in that. We're, we're, we don't become mature Christians overnight. How many know when we're saved, we're first saved, we're babes in Christ. But we're not to stay babes. We're not to treat the grace of God as meaningless. Anybody else got another idea of why this is important for us to consider tonight? And I'm going to move on. I just, I want, I want, I just like the interaction tonight. Don't all jump up at once. Anybody? All right, so this means that we should not abolish the cross of Christ in various ways, especially by trying to gain righteousness through the law. For if righteousness could be gained in some other way, then Christ died for nothing. That's why all of us need to understand, by grace are we saved. Not anything that you could make happen for yourself. So our lives become about the grace of God, the power of the gospel, and the spirit-filled life. We're, we'll see this more developed as we go along in Galatians in future lessons. Paul does an amazing job with this. Number one in your outline, why does the world need the grace of God? Because of the wrath of God. It's because of the wrath of God. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. 
The NSAB says it this way. The New American Standard Bible says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I like that. With the coming of Jesus into the world, we have a dawning of the grace of God flowing to the world. Not that there wasn't grace in the Old Testament. There was. Certainly there was. But it's by Christ that grace and truth were realized, is what the Bible says. The word grace especially flows through the pen of the Apostle Paul. No biblical writer wrote more about grace than the Apostle Paul. Eighty-six times he mentions grace. He opens his epistles the same way. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is grace? I put it in your outline. We could say that grace is the determination in the heart of God, a river of goodness flowing to us as sinners, despite the fact we deserved wrath and judgment. That is grace. It's more than unmerited favor. It's a, it's a river of God's goodness flowing to sinners. Grace is especially for salvation from God's wrath in reference to our sins. That's the home base of grace that leads to a relationship with him. You know what this should do for all of us? When we, when we really get a revelation of God's goodness to us and what Jesus did on the cross, it should humble, our, humble us to the point that we are more grateful for God's grace in our life, for the gift of salvation. It, it, it allow, when we get a revelation of this, it will help keep us from getting puffed up. Do you understand what I mean when I say puffed up? Arrogant, proudful, like we've achieved this on our own, this status. Left to ourselves, we're sinners who deserve wrath and judgment. God saves us by his grace. So we read in Ephesians 1, look at that, 7 and 8. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered, I love these expressive words, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. We read in Romans 3, starting at verse 23, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous, in right standing with God. He's made us holy to receive his goodness. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Verse 25, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. So now I want to talk about that for a moment. I got five minutes. God's wrath was set aside by the sacrifice of Christ. We have God's grace on display in that he does not treat us as our sins deserved. Man, thank God for that. But in Galatians 2.21, we know that the need for grace is seen in the fact that we as sinners lack righteousness. I want to read it again one more time. Galatians 2.21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, 
For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. So clearly, we lack righteousness. Why? Because before salvation, we were lost sinners, unrighteous in God's sight. You know, one of the ways that you begin to walk out your salvation is that you know that when you're truly saved, your life is not your own. You begin to understand, I'm sorry, what was your name? John? Sean. 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 I got it, Sean. I may never forget again. Say it four times. Sean, when you were giving your testimony, by the way, man, you spoke that so well. And I began to realize as you begin to declare the Lord's hand on your life. You know, he spared you. It reminds me of what Pastor Jeff said many times in this, up here in this worship, on this platform. He said, you know, I'm so glad the Lord kept me alive long enough so that I got saved. Because Jeff said I should have been dead so many times that I would have died as a sinner not receiving the gift of God in my life and I would have lived in hell. And God, God's grace in my life kept me alive long enough until I received his goodness. And because of it, Pastor Jeff's become such a wonderful, lousy worship leader. He can't get through a song anymore, hardly. The poor guy can't get through a song because why? It gets to him, don't it, when he considers God's goodness in his life. You know, and, and I think, you know, tonight, you know, tonight has kind of taken on its own little, have you noticed tonight's taken on its own, what would you call it? God just, God just touched this service. And I think what the Lord's wanting us to do is bring us back to humbly thanking him for what we have in Christ. Sometimes I move along in pastoring and life and being husband and dad and grandpa. And man, the Lord reached down and picked me up. I couldn't get up. I couldn't, I couldn't get on the right track. I had no strength. Our family was a mess. And the Lord picked me up. I think tonight is about going back to remembering where the Lord's brought us from. I think that's what we're supposed to go away with here tonight. Where has the Lord brought you from? How many of you are here tonight and you know, I know this is not for everybody probably, but how many are here tonight and say, wow, the mere fact that I'm even here sitting in a church service tonight on August the 2nd, 2023 in Moline, Illinois, and that I'm alive and in my right mind or part of my right mind, and I'm even here is just a miracle that I'm alive. How many would say it's a miracle that you're alive? Wow, look at all these miracles. 
I think we need to, just tonight, when you go home, thank you, Lord. See, if you've got Jesus tonight, you've got something that money can't buy. You've got a wealth that rich people can't even understand if they don't know Jesus. It's time to go. I didn't get very far. You know what? I'm going to say that's okay. I think the Lord gave us what we needed. So would you, would you mind keeping your outline and we'll just pick up where we left off next week. I want to tell you, we got some things coming up next, next Wednesday night. While I'm teaching here, we've got a baptism class to prepare people that are considering getting baptized. If you want to come and go to that class with some wonderful people, we would encourage you. The Bible says to believe and be baptized. We believe in a believer's baptism. Two weeks from tonight, two weeks from tonight, we're all going to take this service and go outside. We're going to have an outdoor service under our pavilion, our playground over there. We're going to rent some big blow-up stuff for our kids. We're going to have watermelon for everybody. We're going to have some hot dogs on the grill. We're going to have some beverages. We're going to, we're going to have some worship outside, and then we're going to baptize some folks out there. We need you to bring your bag chairs or your or your lawn chairs or whatever, and, and we're going to have a time. And we'll tell you more about it to come, about the timing of when you can come, when you can bring your kids, when the food starts and when the service starts. But it, it's going to be a wonderful evening. The weather's going to be perfect, low humidity, 78 degrees, and, and a little cloudy over the sun. I've already told the Lord what we want, right? Love you all. What a sweet time tonight. Let's stand. I'm looking forward to being with you on Sunday. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, for anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, if something's tugging at their heart tonight, Lord, I just pray that they would repent of their sins. And do what the Bible says in Romans to confess you as their Lord and Savior. To believe in their heart, God, that you raised your son from the dead. And seated him at, the, at your, your right hand. And that right now Jesus is praying for us, interceding for us. Lord, those that don't know you, that by the faith you've given them to believe, that they would speak declare to themselves, to their friends, to anybody around them, their family, I belong to the Lord. I'm God's property. And Lord, that you would give them this new heart. And that means, Lord, a desire to grow up in the things of God and live the life that you've planned. Many of us have lived too many years for the devil's plan for our lives, death and destruction. Now, Lord, by your grace, we get to live the life you've planned for us, and it's good. And, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everybody. The Lord bless you richly.